Hello, and welcome to The Kicker, the weekly podcast from Louisville Business First, your number one source of breaking business news and market intelligence. I'm editor Lisa Benson. I just got back to the office from a really great event we hosted called Access Louisville. We do these about once a month or so in conjunction with our sponsor, the University of Louisville College of Business. The events all follow a similar format. We ask five influential people in the community to come speak on a particular topic. Today, we asked five Louisville entrepreneurs to come discuss the state of entrepreneurism in the city and share the challenges and successes they've seen as they've grown their businesses. Joining us were Anchor Gopal, CEO of Interrupt LLC, Stacy Griggs, President and CEO of El Toro Internet Marketing, Stephen Huey, CEO and co-founder of Capture Higher Ed, Perna Veer, President, Vsoft Consulting, and John Wagner, President and CEO of HMS Global Maritime. All five of these executives were winners or finalists in the recent Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year competition. We recorded their presentations and the Q&A session that followed and would like to share it with you today. Each CEO spoke for about five minutes each about their experiences, and Gary Tyler, our publisher and market president, introduced each of them. Good morning, everyone. I'm Gary Tyler, market president and publisher of Louisville Business First, and I want to welcome you to today's uh, Access Louisville event. Uh, None of our events would, of course, be possible without sponsors, and particularly for this event, uh, our sponsor is the University of Louisville College of Business. And here to give a few words on the school is Dr. Van Klaus, chair of the Fork Center of Entrepreneurship and the professor of the Cobb Family Entrepreneurship Program. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. I wanted to let you know what we're doing at University of Louisville to support this wonderful entrepreneurship ecosystem that we have here in Louisville. I am the director of our Entrepreneurship MBA program. That is a 20-month program that works with folks that are interested in developing an entrepreneurial mindset. Our students are typically around 30 years old. They're looking at some point to either start a business or to be involved in innovation within their existing organizations. Uh, We get our students engaged right at the beginning with the lean startup methodology so they are well versed in that and then we put them through all the MBA classes that you would normally expect students to get but we do that in such a way that it's not just lecture tests we get our students engaged in hands-on activities and get them good experience with actually launching a business in fact many of these folks on the panel today serve as mentors to our students Uh, We would love to tell you more, especially if you know someone that you think would be a good candidate for this program. You can reach out to me or Vernon Foster or a number of other people who are here this morning. We'll be glad to reach out to the individual you've identified and uh, help them have the information to make a good decision. So uh, thank you for coming this morning. I'm looking forward to being part of the event and looking forward to hearing our panel. Thank you, Dr. Von Clough. Once again, and follow up that, I do also want to welcome everybody here this morning. Uh, in case you haven't been to one of these events, uh, the format is designed to be free-flowing. Each panelist will come up and, and talk for about five minutes. Uh, and then once that's done, we'll open it up to the entire group for Q&A. And Lisa Benson, our editor, will be up here to help moderate that. So today, we're going to look at the state of entrepreneurship in Louisville uh, and the success and challenges that these companies face. 
Um, we're honored today, uh, each one of our panelists here has been, uh, was either a winner or a finalist in the recent Ernst & Young uh, Entrepreneurship, uh, Entrepreneur of the Year program. I'm also happy to say that most of them have won an award from us, so uh, congratulations on that. Um, so let's begin. First up is Anchor Gopal, CEO of Interapt LLC. Of course, a Louisville technology company specializing in mobile app, healthcare, manufacturing technology solutions. Um, and recently, uh, he and other officials announced the Strengthening Our Appalachia Region, or SOAR, Innovation Summit in Pikeville. So, Anchor. Right. Thank you, Gary. Uh, good morning. Uh, I thought about what I would say today, and I try to draw on some inspiration whenever I do speak, and I basically looked at both parties' conventions and took some snippets from those speeches, and I'm gonna be, you'll hear a lot of rhetoric from both, both parties, so. So, yes, we can. No, I'm kidding, that's a start dose. So, um, no, kidding, so I'm very honored to be here, and it's, and it's very pleased to be able to talk on this topic. Um, it is, entrepreneurship is near and dear to my heart. I think I became an entrepreneur later in life. I wish I had known that this was what I was cut out to do five to six years earlier. I would have saved myself a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of time. But you know, as, as that kind of being said, moving to Louisville also, it, a non-typical technology city, if you will, at the time in 2010, um, was a bit of a, a leap as well. But we plan on this being our home. We plan on this being an area and region that would be eventually welcoming and thriving in our, in our field. And, and that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit today from my perspective is technology. So Interapt is a high-tech innovation firm. We help companies innovate. We build um, products for enterprise so workers can use mobile apps, wearables, Google Glass, things of that sort to better do their jobs. So a lot of our solutions you'll, you'll see in healthcare, in manufacturing, and also logistics. So, um, but it didn't, didn't always be that way. We started our company dealing with text messaging solutions before there was a smartphone. So we essentially, in my story, we started doing mass text messaging. So when you got a school closing alert or a breaking news on your phone, we, half a million people got the same, uh, same message, but it was sent out in just a, a minute or so, which is pretty fast uh, at the time. Um, fast forward a little bit, people wanted think about mobile apps. Well, that was only 7% of the market at the time, and text messaging was almost 90%. People still wanted it. So the demand kind of forced us to shift a little bit and start looking at that as a possibility. We did that, cut our teeth on that space, and then we started looking into wearables around 2014, which we know, you know is a, is a long-term play for us. We are planning on growing that part of our business pretty big by the time 2018 to 20. So how did we kind of get from there, from, from my, um, my, uh, I guess my, my, my guest room uh, in my condo to our office downtown and, and kind of work with the clients we do. Um, I think that has to do with kind of, our journey has also kind of been aligned with the state of entrepreneurship in Louisville. Um, I think that if I had to sum up the state of entrepreneurship, I would say Louisville's in one of positioning right now, which is a good thing. We have a ton of resources, a ton of tools that have been popping up that I've seen really, really help a lot of people. So for example, if you bear with me a little bit, think of entrepreneurs on a scale of one to 10. And one to 10 meaning, let's talk about size and scale of the company. So you have your idea phase, which is like ones and twos, the people with a good idea. Your proof of concept phases, which are maybe people who have one client, and maybe two or three people are trying to work on it. Call them threes and fours. Uh, your growth, you know, fives, sixes. Hyper growth, sevens and eights. 
and you have your diversification strategy, which are people who are really trying to figure out how to scale their company. That's maybe your, I think that's what, am I eight, nine, somewhere around there? And finally, your exits, which are 10. So you have a lot of different stages. And each one of those stages, think of them as Indiana Jones, where each one is a trial, it's a puzzle, it's a, something you got to solve. So once you get from level one, two, to three, to four, it's tremendously hard to do that. It's even harder to get to the next level. And as you cycle through all the companies you read about, um, the ones... I'll use Indata as an example who just finished an exit. They went through a lot of period of going from a one to a 10. So in Louisville, what I've seen and what I've been able to be part of, and a lot of people on our panel also contribute to helping the ecosystem, um, it's positioning. On the scale of one to 10, there's a tremendous amount of resources that are helping get those companies, people from an idea to actually start their, their venture. Um, Enterprise Corps is a great example. The U of L MBA, the business plan competition that U of L students continue to seem to win year in, year out. Um, those kind of things are really setting the stage for building the next stage of companies in our, in our, uh, in our city. So, and when you talk about the next level of proof of concept growth, you see a lot, a lot of, you, eventually these people connect you with um, other companies that might need your services in tech. So, a large corporate client here, you know, GE is doing some good things with that, uh, with First Build. Uh, you're seeing um, a lot of Humana's sourcing out to some small projects to entrepreneurs and things of that sort. So I think that the corporate community is also doing its part in helping foster that entrepreneurship. Always can do more, but I think that it's there if you know what you're doing and, and can get in those, uh, in those me meetings. Talk about in the growth and high growth phase. And for, you know, you've got ca access to capital. If you, if you fit a certain portfolio, and this is one thing that is a kind of a red and blue sort of moment in, in Louisville, I hear a lot about on both sides is access to capital. Our people, I hear people saying we're not get people don't put, invest enough in companies here, and I hear investors saying we don't find the right deals in Louisville. So there's a little bit of a fit and a match issue that we're we're going to have to fix. That's but I think we're positioned well. I think companies and excuse me, I think investors and and entrepreneurs are starting to see you know common ground and getting that access to capital. Finally, you got things like uh, just the Endeavor Network, which has recently come to Louisville, has access to a hundred a $100 million catalyst fund for Endeavor entrepreneurs. A couple of people on the panel are Endeavor entrepreneurs, um, which is a very hard thing to be. And if you don't know about Endeavor, I encourage you to read about it because that's something that I think helps in the later stages of a company. Not a, and just like everything I mentioned previously, there's, there's programs that help each step of the way. And I think that's what we need to focus on is making sure that we're aligning our young and, and, and uh, capable companies with the right resource to do that, because they exist. Um, I think that you're gonna see a tremendous amount of companies go through that, that one through 10, and you'll see some pretty impressive exits. I think you'll see some pretty impressive growth from a lot of the companies here. I'm pretty pleased with where we are. I've been traveling to a lot of cities um, that I have other colleagues and friends in you know, Chicago, Raleigh, San Francisco, so you, you name it, that all have similar problems that we do in Louisville. They all just have, it's just, it's just packaged differently. So I think we're on the right track. I think that we are doing a tremendous amount of things right. I think we're gonna navigate through some of those in the next few years, but overall, we don't see us uh, leaving. We don't see us uh, changing our course, and, and we're, we're really pleased to be part of the entrepreneurial ecosystem because we think it's strong. So thank you for your time, and look forward to your questions. Thank you, Anchor. And I forgot to mention you're also a member of the greatest leadership global class. We, we were in the same one, so. Yeah.
Uh, next up is uh, Stacy Griggs. He's president and CEO of El Toro Internet Marketing. Uh, El Toro is a digital marketing company that just recently moved into uh, its new downtown Louisville headquarters space. That's very fast growing. Uh, should employ 40 people or more by the end of the year. Uh, he is also a bourbon aficionado, and I have toured the office, and I will tell you that their bourbon bar can rival almost any bourbon bar in town. So you want to ask for the after work tour while he's here. So Stacy, come on up. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Gary. So uh, Gary told me we're meeting in the morning and it was uh, too early to have bourbon. I told him those are words you can never say in Kentucky. Um, El Toro, I'll tell you a little bit about El Toro. Actually, well, Anchor you know, stole my, uh, we're going to use the RNC and DNC line. You know, I was going to talk to you about making Kentucky great again, uh, but uh, that's okay. So El Toro, we've got 35 employees. We're three and a half years old. Uh, we've invented and hold, uh, have four patents pending on better ways to target digital advertising. Classically, our com you know, we compete against Google and Facebook. And you might say, well, you know, are you crazy? Uh, you know, start up a business and compete against Google, Facebook, Yahoo, Microsoft. But the reality is the larger you get, the less likely you are to innovate and the less likely you are to be really excited about uh, you know, a couple hundred million dollar market opportunity. But if you're a startup, uh, a couple hundred million dollar market opportunity and then looking how to evolve that into a billion dollar market opportunity become pretty exciting. Um, We've got a great team. We think, uh, I'll talk to you a little bit about Louisville, the good parts. I'll talk to you a little bit about Louisville, the bad parts. Uh, the good parts are there is plenty of access to good talent in Louisville. Um, you just need to know where to look. Um, you know, we, we've built this company, about a third of our employees started through our internship program. And in this extraordinarily competitive internship program, uh, for every 10 applicants that we interview, one of them makes it through the process. But the reason we're so selective for interns is that, you know, we sincerely hope they become full-time employees post-internship. Um, everybody that we've offered an opportunity to join us post-internship has joined us post-internship. Um, other things that are advanta uh, advantages to Louisville, um, look at office space. Our office space is fantastic. We're in the old B Catalyst building downtown. If you haven't been there, send me a note, stop by, um, bring a bottle of bourbon, that'll make me really happy. Um, but uh, the, the cool thing is, you know, we have companies come in from San Francisco and New York and, you know, what, what they would pay for that same space in San Francisco or New York in that same type of neighborhood is eight to ten times what we're paying for that space. Um, you know, what they would pay for the same type of talent that we're hiring from a technology talent is usually double, if not triple, what we're paying. And, you know, I'll hear the detractors say, well, you know, there's not a very big pool of tech talent in Louisville. Okay, I'll go with that. You know, there's, there's a much bigger pool of tech talent in Silicon Valley, but guess what? There's also apex predators in that pool. You're competing against Google and Facebook, and you've got to have a massage artist and, and you know, all kinds of weird benefits to be able to attract people. So, you know, while we don't have the largest pool of tech talent here, we've got a more than adequate pool. And the thing is, if I need somebody, I can get them to relocate here by just getting them to town. If I can get you to Louisville and show you Louisville and say, you know, hey, you know, one of my questions is always, dude, what, what does your house cost? Uh, you know, and, and that's a weird question for an employer to ask. But if you're talking to somebody who's coming from, you know, Chicago or someplace like that, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars for a two-bedroom condo, and then you drive them out to Lake Forest and you say that's five fifty, um, and and so people start to see the value of moving to Louisville. Uh, a couple of things that I think that we're missing in the ecosystem here is generally 
we're not seeing enough, I don't see enough creative ideas. And, and I'll give you a, a, two examples. Um, our office, we get a lot of lunch trucks. Uh, lunch trucks are the classic micro entrepreneur. It's somebody that wants to make their life better, they wanna go out and start a business. Uh, recently, I walked out of my office and there were five, actually no, there were six lunch trucks. Five of them were barbecue lunch trucks. And one was a sushi lunch truck. Well, it, it seems that one guy had a good idea by starting a barbecue lunch truck, and four other people said, you know what, I'm going to start a barbecue lunch truck. There, there are zero salad lunch trucks in Louisville that I know of. And if you have a salad lunch truck, bring it over to my office and I will be a customer. Uh, there are zero Thai lunch trucks in Louisville. So, you know, that, that, that taking a, a good idea and saying, how can I make it a little different and how can I make it a little bit better is going to be something that entrepreneurs in Louisville that's a lesson people need to learn. And, and you know, that whole think bigger, the, the story I always refer back to on that. In 1915, GM did a study on the worldwide automobile market. They hired some of the best consultants in the world to do this study for them. And they said the limit, the total number of automobiles that will ever, ever be in circulation at any one time is 800,000 cars because there are only 800,000 people that are qualified to be chauffeurs. So the reality is they weren't thinking big enough. Today, on a good year, over 30 million cars are sold. There's over 1 billion cars on the planet today. Uh, but their, their consultants, some of the best consultants in the world, weren't thinking big enough. And when you're starting a business, whether it's in Louisville or Cleveland or Silicon Valley, the question you need to ask yourself is, if I'm competing with Google, how will I beat Google? If I'm competing with Facebook, how will I be, compete with Facebook? If I'm competing with the barbecue lunch truck next to me, how will I defeat the barbecue lunch truck next to me. So, thank you. Thank you, Stacy. Uh, next up is Stephen Huey, a CEO and co-founder of Capture Higher Ed, a marketing technology firm that uses big data and technology to help colleges recruit students. Company's data-driven practices and engagement technology allow schools to accurately recruit qualified prospective students by delivering the right message to the right student at the right time. So, come on up. Thank you very much. Uh, obviously, that description of our company was not written by me. It was someone more articulate. I, I, don't, ha I don't make jokes. I'm a very straight shooter. I don't have political things. Um, you know, it's, I think Louisville is going to be huge uh, someday. Um, so uh, my co-founders and I, we, we looked out and we said, hey, there are 2,800 colleges and universities in the United States. They collectively spend over $4 billion a year to try to attract students. Now, the problem is, is that they're really bad at this. 58% of them last year didn't meet their class. This problem's so acute that one in four CFOs of these institutions could, said that they um, can see a day when their college is out of business. Now this is, um, to a lot of us, I mean, Van, can you imagine a day when U of L's out of business? I can't, and things are doing great, right? But uh, one in four CFOs think that it will, and so we said, hey, I think this is a pretty good idea for a business. We can solve this problem. Um, luckily for us, we had access to capital. Um, we largely had access to capital because many people on my, many of my co-founders had participated in successful businesses before, which I think our story is kind of the summary of what makes a good entrepreneurial ecosystem in, for Louisville. You have to have 
a ready uh, stream of good ideas. Now, I, there's some problems with that, and I'd like to talk about that. You have to have access to capital. We have access to capital. Uh, we have some limitations, of course. But I think the thing that is the biggest thing that's missing, um, you have to have a ready amount of people that have knowledge on how to build a business. So, so you know, we have, some, we have some really talented people and we have some good ideas. You know, I, I was a volunteer for Velocity, uh, the accelerator, and I saw a stream of people with good ideas, fundable ideas, um, come in. Now, they, I agree with Stacy, they, they lacked this one thing. And, you know, we don't have zero to one, don't have a lot of zero to one concepts out there. I, because I largely don't think that our, our local environment really supports the big dreamers, um, you know, the, the zero to one people. And if I was to tell you, hey, uh, learning or Capture is really a machine learning company that builds artificial intelligence to help colleges optimize marketing automation to get students to come to their school, you know, I don't know if you'd believe me, but that's what we do. And, and so I think this is part of our environment. And then I would say the other thing on, on this is that many good ideas aren't, are simply not getting funded uh, because of capital restraints. Now, I, I think that's the second thing you need in an environment to make it really pop is access to capital. You know, I found that we had access to capital, and I think most of the people up here, if they didn't bootstrap themselves out of, you know, um, farming rice, um, right? I love that guy. Um, that, that, you know, we, ha we found our ways to getting some capital. Um, the problem is, in Louisville, I think, that um, most people who identify themselves as seed or early stage capital p investors really have the risk profile of someone that wants a company that's in revenue or someone that's later in, in the stage, maybe an A round. And I think, I think that goes for people that would identify themselves and say, I'm an A round investor. They really have the risk tolerance of a B round. I also think that one of the challenges we have uh, for capital in Louisville is we don't have a lot of VC capital. So if you need two to three million dollars to pop your business, you're going to have to get on a plane and explain not only what your business does, but where Louisville is. And so I think those are the two holes for us uh, for capital. Uh, but you know, you can't blame the guys that are the, the people that have seed capital, right? Because day after day, up comes the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed dreamer person that Van helps cultivate um, with their idea of a business. And, and as an investor, I look at them and I'm like, hmm, good idea. I believe their story, but they've never done it before. And I'll tell you, when I was... Um, I was one of four people that did M&A for a company called CMGI. It was in the first wave, as Steve Blank would say it, back in the year, uh, late 90s. And I was located in Boston. And as we went out to look for companies to buy, we would go and find these companies that were early stage companies to buy, but they always had the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed dreamer people, but they always were surrounded by people that had done it before. Now, I'd ask you, um, in this environment, how many people do you know that took a company from zero to a million? Yeah, you, you'd say you know some, right? Everybody, yeah, we know some. 
How about one to ten? Well, you know a few. Um, you know, here's, here's a good collection of them. How about people that took it from ten to fifty? You know a few. Jackson Andrews probably knows a few more than most of us, right? But how many people you know took it from 50 to a billion? You know, I, I think I can name two. And I think the experience part is the part that we're missing. And I think if we can get uh, some successes and people that have successful exits to stay, stay engaged in the environment here in Louisville and help the younger entrepreneurs, we'll be able to attract the capital that we need and we'll build a virtuous cycle, you know? And so I'm gonna vow um, right now. When I'm done with Capture, that's what I'm gonna do. So I hope that you all join me. Thank you, Stephen. Next up is Parnavir, uh, president of Vsoft Consulting, information technology staffing and business services company. Uh, Vsoft has seen its revenue grow about 90% over the last three years. And they're on track to cross the 100 million mark in 2016. So see, you know one now. There you go. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Business First, uh, for hosting this forum. Um, we are truly uh, fortunate to have such a, a positive force in our community. And uh, thank you, David, Gary, and Lisa. Um, I would like to start by uh, show, you know, sharing my experience uh, with Vsoft. Um, as a, an entrepreneur, um, started my journey um, with um, just as a uh, son of a rice farmer, as Steve said, uh, from India, with uh, the, 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 the company is going to be about $100 million uh, by the end of this year and about 1,000 employees uh, globally. So, a lot of this great success that I attribute to the, the values and the roots that come from my being, uh, my childhood values that are taught by my parents. Uh, my farmer, my father used to tell me that there is no uh, food on the table unless you, your target, daily target is to be you know, working hard. And my mother used to work along with our, my father and myself uh, in the fields and also work other uh, jobs in terms of you know, uh, sewing the clothes and uh, helping the villagers with you know, clothing and things like that. So uh, at the same time, respecting every person that she came, came across and truly as a family. So the hard work and uh, respecting other people and placing people first, I would say, are the key to your success. And then once you have those core uh, elements in place, um, innovation is the next key to unlocking that success. And you can go along with you know, achieving more successes in life. So uh, innovation, has anybody uh, played uh, Pokemon Go <laughs> game? I can understand that. And I can't say that I have done, but my daughters tried to get me into it. Um, Pokemon Go. Uh, is using the power of artificial intelligence. Uh, unlike virtual reality that places you somewhere else, artificial intelligence can change the view of the world around you. At Vsoft, we are working on multiple projects using artificial intelligence 
helping, you know, leveraging artificial intelligence for our clients. And innovation is not just trying to find something new, but also being able to see the change that is coming before anybody else in your industry. And being able to uh, do something that is unique and being able to uh, enjoy that monopoly that comes with it. Uh, so uh, we are right now rolling out an application that helps healthcare um, institutes to be able to lower the uh, air quality emissions and being able to you know, lessen the disruption that comes with when the service people go into the buildings and look at uh, the, the repairs that they need to do. Using the artificial intelligence, we are able to uh, let them, you know, find the right place where the repair needs to be done in a, in, instead of doing, you know, the tearing up the entire walls, guessing where the repair needs to be done. So that's just an example. But innovation is taking time to understand your own business, your own industry, and be able to uh, invest in your own business for the future of it. And uh, next, a lot of people think that access to capital is the limitation for success. But if you haven't had a chance to look at the TED Talk by Bill Gross, uh, the founder of uh, um, Idea Labs, uh, he has researched about 200 companies, including some of the great companies like Uber, LinkedIn. And uh, he has studied those companies that are successful and that are failures. So what they found out is uh, access to capital funding is not anywhere close to it. Actually, it is the least reason for success. And uh, next, you know, the... Um, business model is not anywhere close to being number one. And uh, uh, the, what it is is the timing. Timing is the reason for uh, about 42% of instances of success. So how do you get the timing, right timing? Just continue to innovate and you will be able to, the timing, the, the timing will, will come to you. Timing will come to you. So having the core fundamentals of hard work and respect to others and placing people first and focusing on continue, continued innovation uh, will naturally bring the timing. And uh, the next thing is like some of the challenges that we are facing in this market, and I know I'm going to be uh, contradicting with uh, <clears throat> Stacy here, but uh, access to talent is a continuous problem. And I've been talking to Sam Smith from I, uh, Click IT just a while ago. We are in the same space trying to recruit IT talent, and uh, especially in Louisville. I agree that once they come to Louisville, there are very few people that I have seen in my 20-year career that have left Louisville. That's a great thing about Louisville. There are a lot of things that are going on in Louisville in our favor, but still bringing them to Louisville has been a challenge. So that is something that, as a community, we need to work on, being able to invest in our businesses and be able to promote that community, the entrepreneurial ecosystem that supports that attraction of talent to our, our, uh, our community here. So there's a lot of work that we need to be doing. And then once you have the success, always be vigilant um, because you know, once you are successful business, 
you always needs to be looking out for the competition because once you have the monopolistic or at least a limited competition situation, there's always a competition that is looking at replicating those ideas and you know always be vigilant. Like I did when I was a child, trying to, you know, I was facing death almost every day working on the fields uh, where you know you could once a, once a week you would be, you know, unless you are alert, be alert, you will be stepping on a uh, king cobra, <laughs> and I would I would be found by my father later, but I wouldn't be here today. So my recipe for success is to you know work harder than anybody expects, and uh, you know um, be vigilant and uh, continue to innovate, um, make it a mission to innovate and above all, place people first. Thank you very much. Thank you, Perna. Uh, last but obviously not least, uh, John Wagner, president of CEO of HMS Globetime, uh, Global Maritime, uh, their full-time, full-service uh, marine management company with four divisions, HMS Ferries, Inc., Seaward Services, Inc., American Queen Steamboat Company, and HMS Consulting and Technical, Inc. So, Dean, come on up. Thank you, Gary. Hey, before I get started, I, I, uh, so I don't forget, I need to thank L for your MBA program. We uh, currently have got four-year interns working for us. Uh, Vernon's great, and uh, they almost always stay on. So, hey, so I listened to the whole panel, and we've met a lot of times, and I go, well, I'm the oddball here because they got four tech firms and a boat company. Now, that, that doesn't make any sense at all, and so... I don't even have much to talk to with, with these guys except how to grow a business because, uh, as my wife will tell you, um, I don't profess to be a techie. You know, she says, when are you going to learn how to text? And I said, honey, I, I, I do text. She says, no, you don't. She said, I sent you a, a text mail the other day. You were, you were in a meeting, and I said, hey, how's your meeting going? I love you. And I said, no, no. Remember, like four days later, I wrote back, and I said, no, meeting went well. I love you, too. I said, so I text, but I just do it once a week, so it doesn't take so much time. And she said, no, I think you're missing the point about texting. So anyway, I, uh, we'll talk boats, though. We get to talk fun things. I mean, uh, Boats is crazy. So uh, a little bit about our company. We operate about 100 boats all over the world. Um, and everybody wants to say, well, how, did, how in the world did a boat company wind up in the Louisville area? And I, and I joke because when I go to maritime conferences now and I give them my card and they go, uh, Louisville, New Albany, where's that? I say, well, it's the maritime capital of the world. Don't you, don't you guys know that? And they go, no, we don't know that. Well, let me, I said, let me tell you about it. But uh, it's interesting. So when you talk about being an entrepreneur, I'm like some of my fellow panelists. Uh, I guess I didn't know I was an entrepreneur because uh, I thought I was just a fisherman and a boat driver. And, uh, but one thing led to another, and we operated the largest dinner cruise company uh, in the nation out in San Francisco. I was in charge of a fleet of 29 dinner cruise boats. And when gaming came to the Midwest, it was really started by dinner cruise companies. And so it was the John Conleys, the Bob Keels. And it's funny because uh, about, about 1993, 94, uh, we were principals in Madison, Indiana, um, going for a riverboat casino license. 
little did we know, we, uh, you know, we found you had to pay for the referendum, so we paid about a million dollars for the referendum, only to find out they didn't want gambling in their fair town. I said, I, I got it. Uh, so, but we're a learning organization. We said, hey, what can we learn from this? And we said, well, Wall Street is getting involved. The Boomtowns, the Harris, the Caesars, the Hiltons. So let's put together a little consulting company and uh, let's consult to these guys on the boat side, which we did. So while I was managing a fleet of 29 dinner cruise boats, uh, we put together a little, little uh, pamphlet, sent it out, and within six weeks had our first contract. And it was with Aztar Corporation to help you know, them launch the first uh, casino boat in the state of Indiana. And then we went on to work for uh, Caesars, and then we went worked uh, for Be um, Belterra, and then we managed Donald Trump's Riverboat Casino. And we said, hey, you know, this isn't going to last very long. They're going to go dockside pretty soon, and they won't need marine crews. So we said, what should we do? We said, let's invest all this money into ferries. Ferries are growing. And so we start investing in ferries till today we operate eight different ferry services throughout the nation. Uh, Governor's Island in New York, uh, Philadelphia, Jacksonville, Florida, G's Bend, Alabama, Mobile, Alabama, Oklahoma City, um, and uh, Tacoma. And then the interesting thing is about six years ago, so we grew the company from uh, one person with no revenue to about $50 million. And then about six years ago, I got the wild idea that I wanted to buy the largest river uh, overnight uh, steamboat in the world called the American Queen. And it was interesting because the American Queen was built in 1995 and it went through three different owners, all big companies. Uh, Sam Zell, uh, Delaware North, uh, Majestic America. And yet they, they failed. And so the boat was built with Title 11 loan guarantee funds and was given back to the government. So I told my wife, Claudia, I said, hey, we're going to go buy this boat, you know, and I, I only need to raise $30 million, you know. And so you can imagine the bank meetings. You've had three big companies that are publicly traded companies that all failed at this. And a little guy from the Louisville area says, I'm going to buy this boat and we're going to make it wildly successful. And uh, I won't tell you about the 50 bank meetings or anything else and all the no's, um, but what really happened, and I tell everybody as an entrepreneur, it's getting the right team together. And it was really Doug Helm right here in the front row uh, that really helped us. Because when I went to him, uh, he'd been our banker at Chase Bank, and I said, hey, Doug, I'm trying to buy this boat, and I've been through 50 bank meetings. And, and they all said no. And he said, he looked at it, and he said, well, John, you're, you're kind of fishing in the wrong pond. You're asking banks to lend you $30 million, and they're just all cash flow lenders. They're not asset lenders. Uh, there were four boats operating on the Mississippi River. There's none. <laughs> you need to convince them that you're smarter than all these really, really, really smart guys that have made tons of money. To make a long story short, uh, we got it done. Uh, we launched it, uh, and then government approached us and said, hey, we have another boat for you to buy, which is on the Columbian Snake River. Um, so today we're up to about 750 employees, um, operate about 100 boats, uh, revenue of about $130 million, and we have plans. I just uh, had our board meeting and rolled out my five-year plan, which is five more overnight cruise boats in five years. So the quick plug for Louisville, when everybody says, uh, well, how, how in the world did you move from San Francisco to Louisville? And, and, and aren't you in culture shock? And I said, well, 
And, and when I first moved out here the first year or two, I said, hey, if you told me I was going to live here the rest of my life, I'd be mildly depressed. But, 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 but now it, it's home. And, and I tell everybody, because we actually do get a lot of people to move here, and everybody says, all right, why Louisville? And I'll give you my five answers. Uh, number one, reasonable cost of living. Uh, as was mentioned, uh, we, uh, we live in the estates of Hunting Creek. You can never afford that house in California. Number two, a great labor pool. We continue to hire and recruit heavily uh, for our boats uh, all over, and we fly people to work um, because Louisville has a great labor pool. Uh, you have great restaurants. You have a reasonable cost of living. We have a great airport that has all the major carriers, including Southwest. When I was in California, if I had a meeting in New York, it was a three-day commitment. Now I can still fly to New York early in the morning, have my meeting, be back home at night. It's the same with Washington, D.C. or anything else. Uh, great restaurants, great theater, and, and more importantly, I tell everybody it was my destiny to move here so I could meet my lovely wife, Claudette, who grew up here all their life. So thank you. We love being here. Thank you, John. Before I turn the mic over here to Lisa and for the Q&A, and then she'll also wrap up the program, I want to especially thank our panelists this morning. I know the busy, busy schedule, so we really, really appreciate it. I want to thank you all for coming, but we're not done yet. I'm going to turn it over to Lisa for Q&A, and then she'll wrap it up. So. Thank you, Gary. And thanks to our panel. What a great discussion we've had this morning. Um, I think you all have given us a great overview of the state of entrepreneurship here in Louisville. Um, I'm going to ask the first question, and then I'll kick it off to the audience. Um, if you all could look at your wish list um, for what would accelerate the entrepreneurship community here in Louisville, what's at the top of your list? So, um, you know, if you look at, um, Steve mentioned Velocity earlier, uh, you know, I, I love the concept of Velocity, but if you go to a town like Atlanta, um, you know, there's, uh, there's a Velocity on steroids called uh, the Tech Village. And, and, you know, Tech Village was a guy that had a really nice exit, uh, said, I'm going to buy this building and, and I'm going to fill it with cool startups and people that interest me. And, you know, many cities have something like that. And we need a place that um, entrepreneurs can get their start. They can have some density that is the hub of the ecosystem. And, and I think that'll help take a lot of people from that, you know, kind of stage one, I've got an idea to the, you know, I'm ready for an A round type of, uh, type of scenario. So that'd be tops on my wish list. I'm just going to repeat that. I, I think one of the, if you look at any entrepreneurial study of any ecosystem that succeeds, if you're a data geek, you'll see there's like five components that require, are required to succeed. Uh, skilled workforce, uh, good government regulations, and, and friendly tax climate. Um, you have uh, a little bit of luck and density uh, as well. And I think that I'm going to echo the density question, uh, the density point, because, you know, I believe in collisions. I believe in, I can see our business has done extremely well. I don't have a formula for it, but we've done well because of someone I met at the right place at the right time who had a problem that I could solve and eventually it panned out. So I would love it because I don't think I know a lot of things. Stacy introduces me to new entrepreneurs and, and I read about things that I didn't know existed, but if they were all in one, if we were all in one sort of cluster, like you see in other areas, I think that would be something that I would love to see added to the ecosystem because 
I mean, frankly, I would, I would support it, and I would make sure that, you know, we were heavily involved in that. So it's important. It helps get things done. Where does the impetus for that come from? Does it come from the startup community, or does it come from the city, or where? It comes from Purna. He has the biggest company. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah definitely. I would say that it has to come from the entrepreneurial base itself. We can't rely on the city to do it. We can't rely on the state to do it. We need to do it ourselves. And uh, I think in addition to what uh, Ankur, uh, Stacy covered, and you know Steve uh, repeated, uh, I think access to market, uh, like, like an example, New York City has done a few years ago, um, Startup New York program that they have. Uh, so kind of you know providing that, that vehicle for uh, companies that want to start up the businesses here in Louisville community will be a great, uh, great help. Great. Thank you, guys. How about questions from the audience? What do you guys want to know? Any questions? There we go, in the back. Got it. All right, so you guys mentioned a couple times that you guys were successful off of your past success. So you were able to fund your next ventures based on your own success, and that's awesome. But you also mentioned that there's a lot of first-time entrepreneurs that need to figure out how to get funding. When we look at it, we don't have the money to solve that problem. But there are wealthy people who are. How do, how do we get those people involved? Is it you guys kind of leading the charge by example? What can we actually do uh, to get more investment in those first-time founders? So there's a couple of things. Um, you know, so if you look, this is this is my fourth startup. Um, the the I've joined other startups as part of like this senior, uh, you know, like a fixer, uh, a person to come in and kind of help get them from A to B. And you know, typically those companies were all bootstrapped, uh, especially at the beginning. Uh, and you know, the the easiest way and the 100% dependable way to fund your startup and is you believing in it and not quitting your job, and then you working on your startup nights and weekends, and you just doing it, you gutting it out. If you if you believe in it that much, then you know the reality is once you, you're going to get yourself to a certain point. I see far too many startups locally that you know come up with a PowerPoint deck and say, now all I need is somebody to give me five hundred thousand dollars. Well, why don't you go out and instead of having a deck, actually have some traction? And then if you have some traction, it's going to be a lot easier to get five hundred thousand dollars. But you know, people think I've got this deck. That's that's as far as I need to go. And now somebody should write a check. Well, the reality is, if if nothing's going to stop you, nothing will stop you. Yeah, it's, I I think there's a couple of things you can ha do to show get those people out of the woodwork and look at your get a serious look at your company. Um, one is traction, like Stacy said. I think another thing you do is your team. I think that if a lot of times when I see people and I invest in a few startups and I boot and I boot this is my third company I bootstrapped all three and fund self funded it, um, but I think that when you when you when you have someone come in and they say we have a solution that is heavily relying on tremendous knowledge in the financial services market and you say who's your financial services expert and they say well me I've had three years experience but there's no senior person or someone who's really delved into the problem or technology without a CTO and you'd be surprised how many people fall flat on a simple question well who's go if that's the core of your business who's hell's going who's going to help you who else is going to be the ones that are going to support this idea and take their fair share of the work I mean frankly I can tell you one thing in my experience is that there was a time when I did everything you know, I had to, and, and that's just the way it was, and I, I did it. But as I've added a CTO, CFO, COO, 
people, that, that level who can take 5 to 7% off of my plate, well, you multiply that by four people, that's, 30%, that's 28 to 30% more time for me to actually do what I'm supposed to do and scale and grow the company. So showing you have a team that can support your vision and plan and you can show that you can build on that traction, I think that's what gets people a lot, gets people really more comfortable with loaning, not loaning, but giving you money and investing money into your, into your startup, donating, just hand, writing a check for no reason, and yeah, that's right. There, I have seen uh, several companies get funded. Um, usually the thing that is the thing that pushes them over the edge on getting funded is that someone who has done it before says, yeah, I like them a lot, I'm gonna help them. You know, Doug Cobb um, reached out and, and started helping um, the company that got funded. What was, the, what was the one coming out of Velocity that had that? Do you remember it? Do you remember them? No, it wasn't gear break. It was, uh, you know, where you collections. You had collections of stuff. So, so I can't remember my own name most of the time. So the fact that I can't remember this company is probably on par. Um, complete set. Complete set. Thank you. Oh, there you go. Yeah. But I mean, that's how they got more funding. But they had some traction. Um, being a banker most of my life, risk scares hell out of me, and I know that plays an enormous role for you guys, and your willingness to take and face risk, and I just wish some of you guys would talk about how that plays, and it leads into your willingness to fail, and I guess some of you guys have had failed things happen to you, and you keep coming back. It would be interesting, I think, for people that are thinking about starting a business to know where you are on that point. I guess, Doug, I'll go ahead and answer that because uh, Doug and I talk about it a lot. Um, but, you know, for us, we, uh, we had to hawk everything we had. The whole company, houses, personal guarantees, uh, first and second born children, and even a third one that was never born, all collateral, you know. And so, uh, and it's interesting because I belong to a Vistage group and we had a speaker that just came in and he said, whatever you do when you start a business, never put everything on the line. And I go, oh, man, I screwed up again, and I didn't even know it, you know. Um, but for us, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, they take risks, and they take big risks. But unless you're going to do it, it shows the commitment. And again, just a, a side story. When we were doing our road shows with Doug, we went to a company, and uh, they liked the business plan. And don't forget, we're already a $50 million a year business, and we've been in business for 15 years, so we're not small. They liked the business plan, and so uh, they said, hey, we're going to invest in you guys. We're going to give you the $30 million. Here's the only catch. We'd like to own 90% of it. We'll give you 10% founder's equity. So I'm wringing my hands, and we, uh, we, we, Doug and I go to the restroom, and he, he walks in there, and he says, John, we did it. I hear the angels singing the hallelujah chorus. He said, this is awesome. And I said, Doug, I'm not going to do it. He goes, What? You're not going to take their money. I said, Doug, I didn't have this whole dream to give it away to someone else. And for me, that was the whole thing. It was a dream. It was a passion. I, I, I really needed to do it on my terms and on my conditions. And I was never, ever, ever going to get up on, on my dream. And it's the one thing when I've got in front of people and, and they ask, you know, they said, hey, what's the most important thing when somebody is pitching an idea to you? Is it their business plan? Is it their model? 
And one of the guys that I know a lot says, nope, it's passion. He said, I, I don't even read the financials till we get through the first or second meeting. But he said, when you get someone that's so passionate and that's really willing to risk everything, like we said here, bootstrapping and putting the time in. But, but that's the commitment that people are looking for as entrepreneurs. And it's not just shopping a business plan and taking other people's money. I mean, we, you know, those of us that, that went to, to business school and you always read about other people's money and I'm going to get this in all these companies, I'm here to tell you it's not that way. At least not for me and not for most of the guys here. It's really, really hard work, risking a, a whole lot, uh, putting in a lot, and uh, yeah, sometimes you fail. Uh, hopefully, uh, those those failures aren't critical. But risk taken, all part of being an entrepreneur. The people that don't want to take that risk should be bankers and accountants. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my journey started as a startup uh, several years ago, and uh, I think it is true when you are a startup as also as a as an existing business that's been in business for several years that investing into the future, like I mentioned earlier, innovating the business and investing into the future of the business. And it takes uh, a risk in that area as well as far as you know, exploring new technologies before even they are proven to be successful. And as a result, we, uh, at our company, we, we take about 25% of the, the resources towards R&D of the new technologies. So that's how you get the edge over the competition. So I think that's part of the business and part of the life. So it's, the question is, how do you get from that mindset to where you can stomach the risk, right? That's, and when I first started, it took me a year to quit my cushy job and, and career track to decide to do this. I did a year of research. In month three, I threw out the business plan. I spent a year planning with some very smart people and had to say, oh my gosh, that didn't work. What else do we do, right? Um, so you have, so I think that there is a blue pill, red pill moment where you basically just say, I, do you want to stay in this form of life or do you want to do this? And once you take it, you know, John, excuse the analogy, but you have to burn your ships. And, uh, oh, that was, I thought that would, that would be a bad idea for you, but, 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 but literally when you, when I, when, when problems come out my way, I, I never, I've gotten to a point where there's never an op, there's, failure is not an option. And that's not just words, it's true. When we have a problem that could cripple our business, we solve it. And we figure out, how, okay, here's how we take step one, two, three to solve problem X. And you just get into that great puzzle-solving puzzle mode where that's where you keep moving the business forward and forward and forward. And when you look back, I look back at the first three years of my entrepreneur life, and I remember all the conversations my family had with me saying, when are you going to stop this crazy idea and go back and get a job? And I said, next year. This is the year. This is the year. This year. That was year six. <laughs> so, but th th that's the perseverance. And when you look back, you have to be able to just basically trust in yourself, be able to say, if this doesn't work, I will figure out how to make it work. And make sure you get the advice of some very smart people and people in your corner that will guide you along the way. And, and, and know that, know what, be, be confident in what you do know and be very aware of what you do not know and are not good at and find people to fill in those gaps. That's one of the things that really helped us get from where we were when we started to where we are now. Hello, there we go. I think we have time for one last question from the audience. Does anybody have one last question?
This is more of a comment than a question, but um, it seems like it's not always the hills and mountains in front of you, it's a pebble in your shoe that causes problems from getting, getting from zero to one, let's say, or from zero to two. And it'd be great if there was a forum or somewhere where you could post that little pebble problem and have access to the people that could answer that. I don't, I don't get the sense that Louisville has that kind of option, that kind of in the cloud um, connection to just solve those simple database problems that you run into or, you know, an accounting problem that just, those little pebbles that you have to deal with in getting started. Yeah, so uh, th there's actually a bunch of them and apparently we're pretty shitty at communicating them. Um, so, uh, you know, I would tell you like uh, one of the best places that I solve problems is literally in the basement of this building right here. Um, if you've never been to level one, the, the local hacker space, uh, I like to come and sit down sometimes, have a beer, look at what people are working on, bounce p problems off of people. Occasionally I even end up hiring those people. Um, you know, there's Louisville.io, which has a great Slack community, and I know there were a bunch of them being talked about. Uh, Amelia and Lisa, are you here? Are both here? Can we can we mention um, mentoring Louisville, which I just did? But that's coming if it's not. But but you have you're gonna be forums like this where you can essentially get this type of help and get to that zero one two mode. So I think there's a lot of resources, great resources. I would go to Enterprise Core's website to really look at that. I think that there's like Stacy the Slack me. Stacy's the one who took me to this space. I didn't know this existed. I felt really bad knowing that level one was right a half a mile from our office and I didn't know about it because it is tremendous resource. You have to get out. You cannot just go and sit on a website and just hope to learn a ton of things or learn everything. You have to get out, be in the community, ask where these little pockets are, and you'll find this type of help. I found it in many places. And I'll say the one thing for me is um, nobody ever teaches you how to be a CEO. And there's always a challenge, whether it's accounting, finance, uh, human resources. So I actually belong to a Vistage group. And Vistage is a, a group of CEOs, but it's a nationwide organization. So they have a website that if you have any kind of question at all, you post it. And other CEOs you know, will respond to that. Um, I'll, I'll put the plug in for Vistage because it's helped me a lot. Uh, but you know, it, you meet once a month um, with about 12 to 15 other CEOs. You have a world-class speaker in the morning, and then the afternoon we we call it business group therapy, where uh, it's uh, you invoke the cone of silence from Get Smart, and uh, you share your problems, and your other peer CEOs uh, help you solve that problem. So it's been great for us. So there you have it. I thought it was a really interesting discussion that highlighted where we are in terms of entrepreneurism and how far we have to go to get to the next level. Big thanks to the entrepreneurs for joining us and telling their stories. If you liked this discussion, please join us for our next Access Louisville event in September, where we'll highlight past members of our 40 Under 40 class and install them in our Hall of Fame. You can find information about all our events and register to attend at louisvillebusinessfirst.com. And we'll be back next week with another kicker. Thanks for listening.